Well, good morning, OCC. Thanks for braving the cold, all of you who are here in person. You know, I was hoping we were beyond that white stuff falling from the sky. My drive-in this morning, I'm pretty confident I had snowflakes the size of my hand hitting the windshield. I mean, it's just nuts. So for those of you online, like Jonathan said, we don't blame you, and we're glad you're joining us from wherever you are. So good to have you with us. Yeah, I wanna start by just apologizing. I am on the tail end of a cold, so for those of you who normally see me out in the lobby, yeah, I'm kind of keeping my distance, don't wanna pass anything on. I'm normally shaking hands and hugging, and so yeah. But I also know that my voice is kind of froggy. I feel like that dude from Little Rascals today, so my apologies for that. It, it's kind of funny, because it, I was actually writing this message before this, and my first question is this. Do you ever feel inadequate? And so today, I'm just gonna be honest, I feel a little inadequate with my throat quality and, and whatnot, so you know, it's just kind of funny how that plays out. Well, friends, do you ever feel inadequate? Let, let me just see your hands. Have you ever feel inadequate? All right, so for all you who feel inadequate, oh, keep those hands up. Look around the room, and you know you're in good company, right? And if your hand hasn't gone up, either you're not paying attention or you're lying, because we all do, man, we all do. It, it's a common fear. It's this common thing we wrestle with insecurity in one way or another. We battle the question, do I measure up? You know, I'm gonna be real honest with you as your preacher it's pretty common for me, you know? And I know that most of us, we compare our blooper reel to other people's highlight reels. Like we're looking at, at our worst play of the day, we're looking at their best play of the day, and we just kinda have this thing, and it, you know, social media exasperates that. We, we tend to, to, all of us, wrestle with that. For me, it's a pretty regular thing. I'm, I'm working on a message, come up here, and I think, man, is anybody, is this even gonna get through to anyone? Is this gonna make sense? What if I misspeak? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I fail? It's our fear of being inadequate for most of us that causes us to try and mask that feeling. Some of us mask the feeling of inadequacy by becoming a workaholic. We just work, 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 work. I'm gonna try and prove that I'm enough. I'm gonna, I'm gonna prove myself successful. I'm gonna do so good that, that that'll just wash away the feelings of inadequacy. Some people, they go the opposite way. They just settle. Okay, I'm inadequate, so I'm just gonna do the minimum. I'm just gonna kinda rest back. Some of us, we actually go the other way. We pretend we've got it all together. If I can convince everybody else that I'm all right, Maybe I can convince myself that I'm okay, right? So this feeling of inadequacy, we just kind of pretend we got it all together. But this fear of not being enough, not smart enough, not good enough, not successful enough, not whatever enough, well, that fear can steal our joy, can steal our peace, it can create anxiety for us. So imagine with me what it must have been like for a young teenage girl named Mary to find out that she was gonna be the mother of the Messiah, I mean, talk about feeling inadequate. For this young girl named Mary to figure out she was gonna be raising God's son, that that was her assignment. Like anybody here feel adequate? Like God would say to you, all right, I got this big time assignment for you. You're gonna be the mommy of the Messiah. Like, oh yeah, I got that one. I'm totally equipped for that. Like, no, nobody's gonna feel adequate for that. But what we're gonna learn from God's interaction with Mary is that in spite of her feelings of insecurity, in spite of her feelings of inadequacy, God still used her to do big things for him. And God will do that for us as well. We're in week three of our series this year, 
call A New Year, A New Beginning, which is kind of a mini-series within our, our larger pursuit this year called 52, The Pursuit of Jesus, where we're taking 52 weeks to chase after Jesus. And we are in week three in our reading in Quest 52. And if you don't yet have your copy of Quest 52, you can pick it up in the lobby right after service. Uh, we've got some available for you out there. You can buy some for your friends as well. We actually, I just found this out last service. We've had a couple gals in our church purchase, if I remember right, over 20 copies to share with some of their friends. And they've started a Bible study. They've started a study, a group with these people. And they've got 18 gals joining them. Man, church, that is awesome. Like, they've just jumped in on it. Like, woo! So, listen. God can use you to do big things like that too. So if you don't yet have your copy, grab one today. But today, we're talking about Mary. We're in week three. This begins week three of the book. And the truth is, we really don't know a ton about Mary. Mary shows up in the birth narrative of Jesus. She has some cameos throughout the Gospels. She makes several appearances, but she doesn't often have much of a speaking part. She's talked a little bit about in the book of Acts. Not a ton. We don't know a ton about her, but what we do know about Mary is really significant, is really important. And we know that God used her to do some pretty big things. We're introduced to Mary in Luke chapter one. Luke says this, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. Now Elizabeth was Mary's, we we think either aunt or cousin, but she was much, much older than Mary was. So she's a relative of some level there. Elizabeth was married to a guy named Zechariah. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were older. They had not been able to have children. And now they were past that age. They were a much older couple, too old to have kids. We know that about them. But then Zechariah gets like the golden ticket. He's chosen for the special role to go into the temple for this really holy task. And it's like a once in a lifetime kind of thing. He's chosen, he's super excited about it. And there, the angel Gabriel meets him and says, by the way, Zachy, you and Beth, you're gonna have a baby after all. And they get pregnant with John the Immerser. We know him John the Baptist. Immerser is probably a, a better title for him, a little more descriptive of what he does. So John the Baptist, John the Immerser is their child. And so they're, they're, they're met by Gabriel. He's met by Gabriel. Now that same angel Gabriel shows up in Nazareth. Now, Keep in mind, Nazareth is like a, a small, no-name town, the blink in the mist kind of place, kind of like a small town near where I grew up, Glen Arm, Illinois. Glen Arm, like the armpit of the world. I mean, it's just like, it's right on the interstate, you blink, you miss it, you're not gonna see it, right? Like Nazareth, this tiny little town, insignificant place, insignificant little, little place. And so Gabriel shows up in this town of Nazareth to a virgin named Mary, And she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now this phrase, highly favored, in the original Greek language, means more like you're already favored. God has already placed favor upon you. You're not favored because of anything you've done. You're not favored by anything you're going to do. You're favored simply because of who you are and because God chose you as a recipient of his favor in this moment. So it's not about who she is. It's all about who he is and what he's up to. That's what this idea means, this language of highly favored in that original language. Now, this is funny because she's highly favored, 
But from a worldly perspective, if we're gonna use two words to describe Mary, highly favored ain't it. She's an insignificant girl, a young woman from an insignificant town, a little blink and you miss it place. Her soon-to-be husband or fiance, Joseph, insignificant guy, he's a carpenter, a day laborer. He doesn't make much money, he doesn't have much influence, he has no power. So these are like two kind of no-name people from a no-name place. But what we see again and again and again with God is that God operates in a very different way than we do. In fact, God highly favors those who the world often completely overlooks. God favors those who we often overlook. So we move on in the story. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. Now I love Mary's response, because it wasn't, woohoo! I knew this was coming my, I, I knew I was destined for greatness, baby. I'm the one, yeah. No, no, that's not how she approached this. In fact, her response was confusion, doubt, disturbed, distraught. She's like, what? Whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, she's about 15 years old, most likely. She's engaged, and now she's pregnant, but Joseph, the one she's engaged to, is not baby daddy. Well, there's all kinds of problems right there. I mean, you know this young girl, like any young girl, had previously been filled with hopes and dreams of what her life was gonna look like. She had dreams for her future, what she wanted it to all look like, and now that's all dashed. And according to Jewish religious law, to be pregnant outside of wedlock was a pretty big deal. It's punishable by the death penalty being killed with stones, stoned to death. Now, rarely in Jewish history had they ever practiced that. Almost never in the first century did they actually practice that. But it brought the stigma that that's the way you were treated, as though you were dead to others. So this was gonna just wreck her. It's gonna wreck her life. And engagement at that time, different than engagement in our culture. To break the engagement was like getting a divorce, it was like breaking the marriage. Like to be engaged, was, it was already a pretty much done deal. So for her to have this broken engagement, because it was pretty confident, you know, she was pretty confident, oh man, I'm pregnant and Joseph's not dead, he's gonna leave, he's not gonna buy into this. And she just knows she's probably never gonna get married again. She's gonna be on the outs. She probably felt like her life was over. So Mary had plenty of reason to fear. So Gabriel the angel tells her, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, often when we hear that, we frame that up in the fact that Gabriel's an angel talking to a human. And we just know, like if you're having a chitty chat with an angel, yeah, the angel's probably gonna need to call me down and say, hey, don't be afraid. Because angels, they're like tough. They're, they're, like when you look at the angels in scripture, they show up with a presence. And so you're having a convo with an angel, you're like, and so he's gonna come down like, whoa, 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 don't be afraid. But I don't think it's just in that moment, don't be afraid. I think he's also speaking about all those other fears of how her future is gonna roll. Like, hey, don't be afraid how this is gonna play out. Because two times he tells her, you are favored by God. You are favored by God. I know this sounds crazy. I know that you're thinking your world just got upended. I know you're thinking it's all a wreck. But God's got this. And you've got his favor upon you. 
See, it's a reminder for us that the impact of our life is determined by the call of God and how we respond to it. The impact of our life is determined by the call of God and how we respond to it. So we move on. The angel tells her, you're gonna conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. And right there she knows, this is a big deal because Jesus means God saves. So God saves, so whoo, something big's coming. He will be very great and he'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. So what we know is when we interact with other people about Jesus, like you have a conversation with somebody about Jesus, oftentimes you're gonna be like, oh yeah, Jesus. Like we should live like Jesus. We should love other people like Jesus. Most people don't have a problem with Jesus when we talk about who he was as a person. Like, oh man, he's a good teacher. He's so moral. Oh, he loved Phil. He treated him so well. People will say, yeah, he's a good teacher. I'll give you that. Maybe he was a good prophet. Maybe, 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 maybe. He talked to the right person and said, yeah, he worked some miracles. He had like some supernatural powers. People don't like it when we start to talk about Jesus as God. Like, no, we should love like him. We should be good like him. We should treat other people nicely like he did. Problem with this is that the claim that's made here is that Jesus is not just a good teacher or moral man or prophet. Like, he will be great, the son of the most high. That's, that's God language. His kingdom will reign forever. Like, that's authority. Those are big, bold claims. This is a claim of divine God status. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is King. And yes, we should listen to him and follow his model for us. We should love and live like him. But not because he was a good man, but because he is a good God and he is a good Savior. So, in response to all this, Mary asked the logical question, uh, how? Tell me I'm conceiving, but I've never done the hootie hoo. I'm a virgin here, what does this mean? Like, how's this all gonna play out? Well, like, what, what's going on? She is confused, she has doubt, she's like, Gabriel, bro, you gotta help me make sense of this. And so the angel res- responds to her, the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the son of God. There you have it. It's not just good teacher, not just moral man. He is God's son. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant even in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. Don't miss this last part. Some of you need to hear this. Like some of you, this is why you showed up today. No word from God will ever fail. Some of you, you're going through some stuff. You got issues with kids, you got issues with spouse, you got issues with money, you got issues with health, you just got issues. And some of you, you showed up here today hoping, desperate to hear a word from God. Just, man, I, I need to hear something from God. For some of you, this is your first time with us, and you showed up just hoping that God was gonna have something for you today. You know the good news? God brought you here hoping that you would listen 
for what he wants to say to you. You see, God is always speaking. In this moment that we have together each week, this is a holy moment. This is a sacred moment. And my job is not to play God and tell you, no, no, no. But my job is to facilitate a moment for you to hear from God, from his word. But my job is to help you hear God's voice from God's word. And you know the sermon, it's not the only time that happens. It's the laser focused time designed for that. And so I just wanna encourage us, we need to be mindful of this moment. Sometimes we can kind of drift off, we get thinking about other stuff, but we need to engage with God in this moment, like we do with everything we do. See, we don't come to church, we are the church and we gather together and we come to God. Now that's, that's what Sunday is. Whether you're joining us online in that community or you're here in, purpose, in person, we're not coming to church, we're coming to God as the church. And so we need to be mindful of what we do when we come together. The time that we have in the lobby, a time to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to spur one another on, to just be friendly with each other, maybe to comfort one another. Maybe that's where we're gonna hear the voice of God. We sing songs, we don't just sing because they make us feel good, we like the rhythm, we like the beat, we like the, no, no, no. Like that's not bad, it's just not enough. We need to be mindful that what we sing is a declaration of the glory of the only one who is God. And we come together with our voices joined together in a holy, sacred chorus, celebrating the work of God amongst us. When we listen to the message, we come expecting to hear the voice of God, expecting God to say something to us. That's why I encourage you to, to text, the, to, to jump on our text train, stream, whatever they call it. And, and you can access the sermon notes right there. If you get our text every week, and if you don't, you just text notes to 502-289-1387, and you can download the notes app and you follow along, you take notes and engage with and wrestle with what we talk about here. It's when we take communion, like Jonathan said earlier, we're mindful of what we're doing. And we're not just going through the rhythms. It's not like a snack break in the middle of church. It's a holy sacred moment where we remember the sacrifice of our savior for us. The whole reason we come together and we celebrate who he is. Then when we give, we don't just give to go through the moment. It's not like an obligation. We give as a sacred response to the one who has given everything to us. It's just a reminder that we're surrendering a portion of our income simply because we've surrendered the entirety of our lives. We're mindful of all these things when we come together. And let me encourage you with this. As we come to hear the word of God spoken, and we know that no word of God will ever fail. Here's what I've learned, is that when we show up and we're feeling pretty comfortable about life, that's probably when God is gonna step on our toes. And I just wanna say welcome to the club, because every week he's jumping all over mine, man. I preach with bloody toes every week. I'm just gonna tell you, God crushes my toes every week. He's always stepping on my toes. And so when we show up and we're feeling comfortable, usually it's the, when we're feeling comfortable, God's gonna give us an afflicting word to afflict us, to draw us near to him through holiness, to nudge us towards growth. He's gonna disrupt our comfort so that we look to him and move towards him. So if you're comfortable, just wait for the affliction. And that means that the thing you probably least like hearing is probably the thing God has for you to hear the most. 
The thing you probably least like is what God most wants for, for you to hear from him. Now, if you show up and you've got some stuff going on under the hood, maybe you're faking that you got it all together and you've got a lot of stuff going on. Maybe you can't fake it anymore and it's just obvious. You are afflicted. We just know in those moments, God comforts the afflicted. He's got a word of hope for you. He's got a word of help for you. He's got a word of comfort for you. So God afflicts the comfortable, he comforts the afflicted. That's just how he is. But whichever it is, let's always remember that no word from God is ever gonna fail. And let's respond the same way with the same attitude that Mary had. I love her response. She responded with this. I am the Lord's servant. I'm yours. I'm here to serve you, God. May everything you've said about me come true. I'm in. I'm in, fully in. That's how Mary responds. You said it, I'm in, let's go. And then Gabe was like, wow, good. She's got it, boom. My job's done, he bolts, he's out. So Mary gets it. What a humble, beautiful response. You you see the reality that plays out in Mary's life is what we realize with our own lives if we give God a chance. That, That our inadequacy is God's opportunity. Our inadequacy is God's opportunity. Mary undoubtedly felt inadequate for God's call on her life. It's not how she thought her story would would unfold. It's not what she thought it would look like. She knew she was scared for what this meant for her future. She knew that she'd face embarrassment, humiliation. People were gonna talk about her behind her back. She wasn't gonna have a chance to defend herself. There's gonna be conversation about her that she's not in and things said and, you know, she's gotta live with that. And she's probably like the rest of us. You know, we all want God to use us for something big. I've never had a conversation with someone and been like, hey, do you want God to do something awesome with your life? Look, no, not really. I'm content just, you know. No, like everyone's like, oh yeah, man. I'd love for God to do something great through me. Thing is, we want God to do something great with like the big moments and the big stage and the, and the big accomplishment. Like we wanna be the metaphorical, like I catch the pass in the end zone to win the big game and it's all the celebrations about me. I get to point the finger to heaven and praise God even though I was the one who caught the pass, you know? Like give me that platform, give me that stage, give me the victory of the big game. And sometimes, sometimes God will give us those opportunities. Sometimes God will leverage our accomplishments, our strengths, He'll leverage our success for the platform for his glory, for his message. But I found that most times, he's gonna do just the opposite. He's gonna leverage our weakness, our problems, our pain. He's gonna leverage our inadequacy, our inability, our lack of opportunities, our failures, our problems. And he's not gonna put it on the the stage of success. He'll put it on the stage of inadequacy. It's as though God says to us, listen, I, I'm gonna do all that and I'm gonna accomplish something big through what you would think is the worst moments because then they'll know it's not of you. They'll know it's of me. Then I get to put my power on display. Then I get to show up. See, so often God will use what seems like the big mistakes to do the big things. And you know how this is, right? We've seen this play true. 
Because when you watch somebody go through the ringing, when you watch somebody go through the hardship, the heartache, the train wreck, and then they come out on the other side praising God, then you know, like, man, there's street cred to their faith. You, you find encouragement for your own faith in that. You, you find, like, oh, man, like, if God can show up in that way for them, maybe he could show up in a similar way for me. And this is why when, when I do pastoral counseling, whether it's with an individual or a couple of family, been doing it for 20 years, meet with people, they never, when, when they're wrestling through the, rest, the wreckage of life, they're never like, hey, who's a person who's got it all together? We're gonna talk to them. No, because they don't care about those people in that moment. You know what they ask for? You know exactly who they're asking for. They're saying, hey, who's the person who's dealt with the addiction face to face and they've, they've come out on the other side with freedom? Who, who has gone through the pain of loss of a loved one and they just can't find hope yet? And, and, and tell us who, who came out the other side of that. Who, who's the couple who's been on the brink of divorce but their marriage made it through? Can, can we talk to them? Who is it who's navigated these difficult situations with a kid? Who is it who's navigated this, this kind of news with cancer? Who is it who's dealt with, you name it? They wanna to talk to the person who's been with a problem. They've seen God pull them through. Because that's where we find the encouragement. See, it's our, it's our inadequacy that is God's opportunity for him to show his bigness in our worst moments. And I love how Mark Moore talks about this in his book. You'll read about it this week, chapter three. It says we all need two things. We all need a reason to believe and a relationship to sustain. We all need a reason to believe and a relationship to sustain because when there's a gap between our past and God's vision for our future, and there's usually a pretty big gap there. Whenever there's a gap between our insecurities and walking confidently in God's plan, and there's usually a pretty big gap there, we need a relationship and we need a reason. So we need this reason to believe. For Mary, the reason to believe was another miraculous pregnancy. Elizabeth, her aunt, her cousin, whoever, her relative, who was too old to have kids, who had never been able to have kids, who was unable to have kids, suddenly has a kid. That's a reason, like God shows up and does this other thing with this other miraculous moment. See, a lot of us, we base our faith on our circumstances. Not saying we should, I'm just saying that's usually the way it is. And it kind of gets us into a mess because oftentimes we can get thinking with what I might call some stinking thinking. That like when life is good, that that must mean God is near. Well, I showed up and I got the parking place close to the door at church. God must be near to me today. You must want me at this trip. But ooh, the deal went through on the house. We got the dream house. Oh, I got the dream truck. I'm still waiting on my dream truck, by the way. Just, but you know, oh, that dream truck. Oh man, God must have wanted this. He is near. He won. You get the stimulus check. You get the bonus. You get God is near. Problem with that is when things don't go our way, we start asking different questions. Like, where is God? Why is He allowing this to happen? I feel like He is punishing me. And our belief starts to look more like this, that when life is not good, it must mean God is not near. That's just bogus. That's not true. That's never been true for God's people. You know, the gardener is never closer to the vine than when he's pruning it. God is right here with us in the good and the bad. 
You know, difficulties can expose our inauthenticity in our faith. But we need a reason to believe that's bigger than just the circumstances in front of us. This, this is why the Israelites of old reminded themselves all the time, this phrase that pops up in the Old Testament again and again and again, that our God is a God slow to anger and abounding in love. They reminded themselves all the time of what God had done in the Exodus, of leading the people from Egypt to the promised land, of saving them. That all the time they were just reminding themselves of what God has already done for them. And the God who was the God then is still the God now. It's why we celebrate communion every week to remind ourselves of how God has led us through, of how God shows up, of who God is. That the God of that cross, by the way, a God who is against you doesn't go to a cross to die for you. Only a God who's for you dies on a cross. So we remind ourselves that God is for us because God loves us, because God created us. We remind ourselves in this communion moment each week of what he has done and how he has showed up. And we remind ourselves that the God of the cross is still the God of our current circumstance. That the one who was on the cross 2,000 years ago who raised from the grave three days later is the same God who can raise us from our circumstances today. And so we remind ourselves of this. And friends, I, I'll be honest, I gotta remind myself of that often, every day. When Jesus and his cousin John the Immerser grew up, old Johnny got himself into trouble with the king. He started calling the king out on some stuff that was unholy, and the king didn't like the king threw him in jail and was gonna have his head cut off. And so Johnny's like, whoa, man, I'm kinda doubting this whole plan of Jesus now. Like, is he really the one? So he sends his guys to Jesus. Jesus, are you the one? Like, he was doubting his faith. He was doubting the plan. He was doubting what was going on. And Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, doesn't even answer John's question. Like, he doesn't even address. Like, John says, Jesus, are you the one? And Jesus sends this back. He told John's disciples, go back to John. Tell him what you've seen. Tell him what you've heard. Tell them this, tell them that blind people now see, lame people walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf can hear, the dead are raised back to life, and the good news being preached to the poor. Remind them of what I'm about. That's what John needed. John didn't need to be saved from a circumstance, he just needed to remember the Savior is Jesus. And he'll work through those circumstances. You know, Jesus' life, his teaching, his preaching, his death, his resurrection, his imminent return is reason for us to believe. So we need reason to believe. We also need a relationship to sustain. Mary traveled about 70 miles from Nazareth to Judea to spend the next few months with her pregnant relative, Elizabeth. She needed somebody who could get it, somebody else who understand a miraculous pregnancy, somebody else who understood the, the difficulties. Now Mary's on the other side of the coin, or, or Elizabeth's on the other side of the coin. Mary is a young woman whose life is kind of, Elizabeth's like, uh, am I even gonna like, be around to see this kid grow? I mean, I'm old and this is like, what am I doing? I'm gonna be having a baby at like, whoa, I'm like the geriatrics ward here. Like, what's happening? I mean, it's just like, yeah. You know, so they're on like separate sides of the coin, but they both get it. They need somebody who can go through it with them. And we know what that's like. We need people who can go through it with us because when we know we're not alone, we can endure so much more. When we got somebody who's journeying through it with us, this is why whenever I find out somebody is going through a, a challenging time, my first question is always, well, who's their tribe? What group are they in? 
Like who are they connected to? Because when we're connected to people, we can go through so much more. That's why small groups are vital here. That's why you hear me talk about them all the time. That's why I talk about Rooted all the time. Because we need those people in our lives, not just to celebrate the highs, but they do. They celebrate the highs and the highs are even higher. But they hold us up in the lows and we can't even stand up on our own. That's why care groups are so vital to us. Care groups, like grief share, when we're going through the grief of the loss of somebody we love, we, we need to gather around with other people and just know that there is hope that together we'll make it through. So many groups like Financial Peace University, some people are like, is that really a care group? Is that really? Listen, when your finances are upside down, it feels like your life is upside down. But when you get together with a group of people and you've got somebody who's made it before you and, and they're helping you just take baby step after baby step after baby step at a time and you realize, oh man, and you start to get right side up in your finances, it's amazing how many other parts of life start to feel right side up at that point. This is why we need groups like the addiction support group. Family members dealing with people who are addicted. And that group's gonna start in just a few weeks. And it's so helpful because we know, like, man, we're not alone in this. There is hope. There is healing. Together we'll make it through. Like, that's the message of Scripture. That's the message of the church, that together we make it through. So just let me take us back to Mary's response. Mary responded. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said come true. May it all come true. May it be to me as you've said. May it be to me. You know, Mary hoped God's word would come true in her life, even though, even though she knew it might mean no marriage, even though she knew it might mean mockery in her village, even though she knew it would be a difficult road. She said, I'm your servant. May it be to me as you've said. May it be to me as you've said. May your word hold true in my life. Friend, if we can say as Mary did, may it be to me. May your word reign true. May I be surrendered and may you be king. See, when we do that, that's an open door for God to use us. If, if we will, will surrender our will to him, then God will use us to do big things. Now I want to caution us. We got to redefine big. Sometimes we think big is like big stage and lights and books written and platforms. You know, maybe the big thing is that you're going to offer comfort to somebody who's in desperate need of a comforting word. That you're gonna pray for a coworker and that's gonna be their introduction to what God is like. Maybe it'll be an invitation for someone to join you at church, to join you at the big game. Maybe it'll be an invitation like my buddy Mark. I'd like to say a couple decades ago, but I think it was, it's getting closer to three decades ago now. Sophomores in high school, Mark invites me to go to church with he invited me back the next week. He invited me back the week after that. Simple invitation, go to church. Hey, after church, let's go grab a blizzard at Dairy Queen because I love blizzards from Dairy Queen. And we just talk about what we heard. We talk about what God was up to. We talk about our lives. We just developed this strong friendship. It was a simple invite. It may not have seemed like a very big thing at that time for Mark. When I think about the number of people I've got to tell about Jesus over my life, I think about the people who've responded, not because of me, but because of him. Because when you tell people about Jesus, like, man, you just can't turn Jesus down. Because when you really understand who he is, be a fool not to follow him. I think about the number of 
people I've got to influence for Christ. And it started with a simple invitation. That was a pretty big deal. God used Mark Zimmerman to do some pretty big things in Andrew Fitzgibbon's life. Friends, I just wanna guide us. I'm gonna invite you in a time of prayer. I'm gonna guide us through. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask some questions and just give you some space to pray. And then I'm gonna close this out in a moment. So join me. If you're exhausted from trying to cover up your inadequacy, I just wanna invite you to give that to God right now. To ask him to use the platform of your inadequacy to do something big, that he would show his power through you and in you. Maybe your current circumstances are causing you to question whether God is faithful or not. I just invite you to confess that to God. Confess your doubt, confess your confusion, and ask him to give you a reason to believe, to give you trust. You tell him, God, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. If you wonder how God could use you to do big things for him, Ask him to help you redefine what big looks like. To think in terms of significance. Ask him to give you courage. To help you hear his voice. To help you be faithful to his call on your life. May we all respond to God's call on us. The way Mary responded. Father, we are your servants. We want to do your will. May it be to us, as you've said. May your word be true in us and to us and through us. God, may you use us to do immeasurably more than we could ever dream, imagine, think. Because of your greatness and not ours. Because you totally more than adequate for us. You're more than enough. And so God, that is where our hope is. We rest in that truth. We find hope in that truth. We find joy in that truth. God, we are your servants. We humble ourselves now. We are your servants. Use us to do your big will. May it be to me. May it be to us, as you've said. Amen.